Well, I wonder if uh, when you were a kid, or maybe uh, even it's true for some of you still today, that there were some places in your house possibly that you weren't allowed to go. Did you ever have any of those? Maybe, maybe there were some certain rooms or some certain places that you sort of couldn't enter into. They were, had a little bit of mystery to them, and, uh, and there was more intrigue probably because you weren't allowed to go there. Maybe it was your parents' bedroom. Maybe it was that sort of that room off to the side, you know, that living room that you can never really go into. You can never play in, let alone, you know, or sit in or anything like that. Just sort of look at it from a distance. Uh, you know, different rooms with, with different mystery, these forbidden places in one way or another. Or if you think of the movies or, or maybe you've seen different kinds of places like this where there's sort of like a secret passageway or a hidden doorway or concealed entrance or something like that. Sometimes the special places are special places only for certain people. And only certain people can get into these special places and you have to have either the right credentials or the right relationship in one way or another. I remember uh, about two years ago now, Don Fraze and I were in Ottawa for a conference and we were there and we were, uh, took some time one evening to visit with uh, Kelly Block who is a friend of ours. Uh, she's a, men- a member of parliament and also a, a part of our church here. And uh, so as we went with Kelly, she took us into the parliament buildings and gave us this tour, and we were able to go even into some places that I think maybe the general public doesn't actually get to go, including the Conservative Party lobby area, which is like right off the back of the House of Commons, and where the MPs sort of gather and and so on, and we met a number of them, and we even had a conversation with Peter McKay. Don had a long conversation with Peter McKay about the Canadian Football League for some reason. Um, But... uh, Interesting how you can get into some places with the right relationship or the right credentials. And speaking of politics, I mean, we can relate to this too, that that sometimes the special access things are related to an individual or to a person. And and if you think about the Prime Minister of Canada or the President of the United States, I mean, these these are people that you don't have easy access to. These are people who are often managed and protected and they are handled by different people. And we see this all the time. And it's, and it's understandable because they are important people. And their time is important. Their time is limited. And so not everybody can have the same access to them. So, so we get that. But even for those people, even for the Prime Minister of Canada, even for the President of the United States, we see from time to time on the news or we, we hear different reports that with their children, it's, it's kind of different, isn't it? I mean, their kids, whether it's uh, Stephen Harper's kids or... Barack Obama's two daughters, I mean, they can just sort of go right in. They have very different kind of access, don't they? They can go in and interrupt even sometimes some important things. I mean, they can go in and get a hug from their dad or, or a handshake, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, they can, they can go in and they can have some unique access that other people actually don't have because they are a child of this man. They have different access than everyone else. It's a completely different relationship. Maybe in some ways, uh, these simple examples can help us to think through some of the implications of the Easter story that I want us to reflect on a bit here this morning, this incredible resurrection story that we celebrate uh, this weekend. You know, the events of those few fateful days over 2,000 years ago changed everything in terms of access and relationship to our Heavenly Father. Throughout the, whole, the Old Testament, if you look through and read through the Old Testament, you see this truth. We see it also in the New Testament, this reference to a place that is set apart. This reference to a place 
that is forbidden in many ways. It's a place that requires special access. It's a place that is holy and awesome in the original intent of what that word was intended for. It struck awe in people. It was a place that was the meeting place of the living God. It was God's special dwelling place among his people. And it was called the most holy place. It was this place that shielded the holiness of God from the sinfulness of man. And this barrier that stopped people from carelessly or flippantly sort of entering into the presence of God. And as it said in the Old Testament, if they did so, they would die. You know, originally... We saw this in the tabernacle, this, this portable place of worship that, that the people of Israel, as they left Egypt and as they were heading and wandering towards the promised land, this portable place of worship called the tabernacle was, was what they kind of packed up, took with them, set up again when they set up camp in another place. And even in that tabernacle, there was this place called the most holy place, place of meeting God. Eventually, it was moved to the temple when the temple was built in Jerusalem and even rebuilt many years later. Again, there was this most holy place. And when it was in the temple, it was guarded or shielded or the access point to this most holy place was with a curtain. And this curtain was, this, was very different than curtains that you and I would think about. Uh, it was so much more massive, so much bigger, so much thicker, so much heavier. It was like 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and a couple of inches thick. I mean, imagine that. I mean, that is no small curtain. And this was the entrance that, that guarded or blocked the entrance to this most holy place in the temple. Now, this most holy place, both in the Old and in the New Testament, had limited access. Only certain people at certain times. And in the Old Testament tabernacle, it was only Moses who could enter in there as he met with God. And then in the New Testament, we see that it is the high priest who goes in there and even then only goes in there one time a year on a special occasion on the Day of Atonement. And even on that day, the high priest would have these purification rituals and and have to wash and to cleanse himself before entering in and bringing a sacrifice in this place as as representing of meeting with God and atoning for the sins of the people. What's so significant about our focus here today is that at the very moment of Jesus' death, what we reflected on on Good Friday... At that, at that very moment that this curtain was torn from top to bottom. That account is recorded in three of the gospel stories, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In very similar fashion, in very similar ways, and you can read those accounts. But in Matthew 27, it says it this way. It says, then Jesus shouted again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split apart, and the tombs opened. And you know, at that moment, the relationship between man and this holy God changed forever. At that moment, this torn curtain symbolized and represented this unprecedented access of the, towards the living and holy God. For all people, that now was not only just for the Jewish people, those who had been chosen by God to bring the blessing of God to the nations and the families of the earth, but now it was open to the Gentiles as well. And this new access that was made possible by what Christ has done. And how God was drawing near. And how God was also inviting us to draw near as well. In the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews describes the implications of this event. And all that it means in the context of the resurrection story. And does so so powerfully. And I want to read just 
a few verses there in Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. It says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting in him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And it speaks to this truth that it is no more this forbidden place. There is no more of this special access only for a few at certain times of the year. It's no more this, even this localized worship in the temple here at Jerusalem, but now that the people of God will worship in spirit and in truth as God gives his spirit to his people. You know, the the story of incarnation is a story that begins when we celebrate the Christmas season. And it began from this event that we just read about many, many years earlier than that, 33 years earlier than that, when Jesus Christ was born as this baby, as this God who draws near. God in the flesh. God who came to restore right relationship uh, to himself. A God who came and took on flesh, who took on the smell of sweat, who had real blood coursing through his veins. A God who would sleep and work and eat and spend time with his disciples. And also with those who were on the margins of society, those who always felt on the fringe that they weren't good enough, that they didn't measure up. And this God in Jesus Christ who drew near and who ate with them and walked with them and spent time with them. This was Jesus. And after 33 short years of life and three short years of ministry, the culmination of this God drawing close was found in the cross. Powerfully symbolized by this torn curtain, this barrier between people and God, now torn in two from top to bottom, not by man, but by God himself. This invitation to draw near. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke records uh, this account, and he says how darkness fell. He says how darkness fell on the whole land, even though it was 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and how even the light from the sun was gone, and how this curtain is torn, and, and Jesus cries out, and he says, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And then with those words, he breathed his last. This unapproachable God was now approachable. God was on the move again, drawing near to his people in unprecedented ways. And this is the gospel story. This is the truth of this incredible story that we celebrate this Easter weekend. Of God's love for the whole world. And of a God who loved so much that he came himself. That he made this possibility of this entrance into relationship with the living God, with this holy God, this awe-inspiring God in remarkable ways. You know, there's one short verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that captures, I think, and summarizes so well the implications of what Jesus has done in these events in the Easter story, of dying for us, of rising again, of overcoming death, of the empty tomb, of the resurrection. It's found in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 30. 
I want us to look at that verse, and it says simply this. It says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. And for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. And here in this one short little verse, it sort of captures the essence of all of that is kind of tied up in this amazing event in history of what Jesus Christ has done. And Paul, earlier in this section, in this text, he, he says that the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are headed towards destruction. They don't understand it. They won't understand it. But he says how God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And how God chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. And God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers to be important. It tells in such a concise way how this resurrection story, this Easter story, has such huge implications for every one of us. These three things of how Christ made us right with God, it's called righteousness. How we have now been placed in good standing with this holy God, even as a sinful people, but how God made us right with him through Jesus Christ. And secondly, it it talks about the fact of how God made us pure and holy, what's sometimes referred to as this sanctification, of of being, we have been made pure and holy, and we are in the process of being made pure and holy, and how this was done at the cross. And how now, even though God is this holy and awesome God that we can enter right into his presence, being made holy ourselves because of what Christ has done. Not because of anything that we have done. And then lastly, here in this concise verse, he says that he freed us from our sin. And you know, on on Friday night, if you're able to be here at our Good Friday service, we talked about this idea of rescue. And that every one of us needs this rescue from God. And that God is a God who rescues his lost people his sinful people. And being freed from sin is this idea of redemption, of that there is a price that was paid for an offense and that it's paid in full and there's no debt left, it's gone. It's this idea that those who are caught in slavery, those that are caught in bondage, those that have nowhere to turn and go, they are now free. So in all that is captured in this incredible story of the resurrection at Easter, is articulated here in these few short words of being made right with God, being made pure and holy, and being freed from our sin. You know, the implications of the death of Jesus and this torn curtain, the empty tomb, are many. One of which is this continual invitation, this invitation of God himself for us to draw near. It's one of the most amazing pieces of this story of the God of the universe, the God who created all things, is the God who initiates and initiates relationship and initiates reconciliation even in our broken relationship, even in our sin. And he draws near and he continues to invite us to draw near as well. This continual invitation to believe and to receive. This gift that God has given us. And you know what? It seems that our tendency is often to shrink back, isn't it? seems that our tendency is, is often to kind of shrink back because it, it just seems a little bit too simple, a little bit too good to be true. And so we, we shrink back because we focus more on our own sin and our own unworthiness and the fact that, you know, we, we can't actually receive that and we miss this gift that is right there in front of us that, that Christ is offering. You know, for me, even, even just yesterday on a Saturday morning, 
I was just spent some time here in the sanctuary and uh, alone and just reflecting on this Easter weekend and even just sitting right here on this front pew and reflecting on this cross that we marked up on Friday night. That we had this opportunity to just take some of that paint and, and just put a, a stroke across there, reflecting this idea that we too have caused Christ to be crucified. It's our sin too that has put him there. But what struck me, even in those moments yesterday morning, is that, you know, it's so easy for us to stay there, isn't it? It's so easy for us to kind of condemn ourselves and to feel, you know, that unworthiness and to feel that we don't have access and to feel like, well, we can't draw near to God because we're just not good enough in one way or another. What is it that keeps us back? It's, it's that guilt and shame. It's that guilt and shame from the things that we, are, we have done in the past. It's even that guilt and shame from the things that we feel trapped in right now. It's that guilt and shame that even Peter felt, and we looked at that on on Friday, this guilt and shame that Peter felt as he denied Jesus. Even though he said, no, 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 no. If everybody else falls away, Jesus, I won't betray you. I will stay with you. I will be faithful to you. I will follow you to anything. And then he too denied Christ. But it's those things that, that keep us from entering into this invitation of God of drawing near. And instead, we kind of shrink back. So maybe it's that guilt and shame. Maybe it's just our own striving. And we think, well, I, I just haven't done enough. I'm, I'm not good enough yet, but I'm working on it. You know, and we think, well, if I can just do a little bit more, um, then, then maybe then I can sort of enter into the presence of God. But, but you need to hear today, friends, that into all of that, Jesus says, it is finished. Into all that, Jesus says, it's done. You don't have to strive so hard anymore. He says, striving is finished. He says, guilt and shame is finished. Trying to be good enough is finished. It's not about that. In fact, these are not the things that draw you near. In fact, just the opposite. These are actually the things that keep you at a distance. Because it puts it all on you and the fact that, well, I just got to do this and do the right things. And then I can draw near to this holy God. And Jesus to all that says, no, 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 no. It's already done. The curtain is torn. The price has been paid. All is finished. And you can rest. You can rest. In the presence of the living God, of the holy God, that you have been made right and holy and pure and blameless and free. Because of the cross, because of the torn curtain, because of the empty tomb. This is the incredible implication of the resurrection. This is also the consistent and ongoing invitation of our Heavenly Father. Here's one of the other things that, that struck me this weekend. As I think about the curtain, and the fact that the curtain and that event and that story was actually on Good Friday, that that curtain was torn on Friday, at that moment of death when Jesus died and gave up his spirit and he breathed his last. And yet we don't really see or experience the implications of that until Resurrection Sunday. And the reality that Jesus is alive and that God is not dead. And that there's this invitation to draw near. And so what strikes me about this truth is this. Is that even in darkness, when God seems so silent and distant and everything seems black. To know that God is more at work and more accessible than we would ever realize. And that God continues to offer that invitation and to offer that 
invite to faith. That's the invitation to faith, to trust in Jesus, this God who came near, this God who invites us to draw near to him and to recognize that we can do so completely worthy, completely accepted, completely loved, forgiven, and free because of this gift. That's what we celebrate. That's the amazing story of the resurrection and this gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to just stand as I conclude in prayer. And I want to invite the worship team up as they lead us as well. And maybe, maybe you're somebody here today who has never prayed that prayer, never invited or received that gift. And maybe today is that day where you say, Lord Jesus, I believe. And Lord Jesus, I give my life to you in faith. Maybe today is that day. Or maybe you're somebody who has walked with Christ for a long time and maybe you made that declaration years ago, but you have just found that your life is just being shrouded and covered and clouded with this sin and this guilt and all of these layers of things that need to be stripped away again because of the cross. And I want to just lead you in a couple of different ways that we might pray. And I would just invite you to just pray along in the quietness of your heart that the Spirit of God would work in you uniquely as God would want to do with you today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your relentless love and your pursuit of us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came near in that incredible incarnation story of a baby born in a major. And then that so many years later that you lived and ministered among your people and that you willingly walked to the cross and that you died for us and you set us free that you made us right with God again, that you made us pure and holy, and that you freed us from our sin. And so, Lord, for some of us here today, maybe the desire of our heart is to pray in this way, that, Lord Jesus, that we just believe in you today. We place our trust in you today. We recognize this amazing gift and this invitation that has been put in front of us here today, but it has been there as an offer throughout the centuries. But today, Lord, we see it, and today we receive it, and we embrace you. And Lord, would you forgive us for our sins? Would you set us free, and would you set our lives on a new path, a new direction to go in a different way in obedience to you? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you can change us, that you come into our lives and you change us and transform us through your Holy Spirit. Would you do that today? And Lord, for others of us, we just confess that we have maybe made this commitment or this declaration years ago, but we confess that it has been something that we have strayed away from. And we have not drawn near to you, but we have really shrunk back and stepped away. And we just confess that we are a people who knows that you are a God who draws near, but for whatever reason, because of our guilt or shame or disobedience or rebellion or whatever the case may be, that we have pushed you aside and walked the other way. God, would you forgive us for that? As we turn now to face you and to enter into this most holy place with the living God, we pray that you would transform our hearts again, that you would change us, that you would remind us again of our right standing with you and that we are a child of the King that has immediate and open access to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for these incredible truths. We thank you for this most amazing story in the course of history that impacts all of history that we are invited into. So Lord, help us to see you more clearly today. Help us to acknowledge you more openly today. Help us to walk 
more obediently today because of what you have done through this resurrection story. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.